Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 15. Today, we're joined by Jeff Danker of Major League Bowhunter. And in this episode, we're going to dive into how to break down a strategy for hunting mature bucks. I really enjoyed this discussion, and I think you will too. Let's get at it. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Here with me is my co-host, Dan Johnson, and also our special guest today, Jeff Danker of Major League Bowhunter. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Uh, Man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to, to chat whitetails with you and see what you've got going on. And you know, as I mentioned in the intro, you're one of the hosts of the Sportsman Channel TV show, Major League Bowhunter. But for our listeners out there, you know, could you share with us a little more about your background, how you got into whitetail hunting, and, and maybe what led you to working on Major League Bowhunter and outdoor television? You know, my deal is, is it might be different from a lot of people's, is I really never set out to be a, a host of a television show. I was a you know, my dad brought me up coon hunting when I was four years old, and I loved the outdoors. And, of course, he got me into hunting uh, whitetails. But then, basically, I was, you know, all we did was rodeo. I mean, we, we grew up as calf ropers and team ropers, and and then my dad had a roofing company, so we learned to work hard. And, man, I was just, as I got older, I was still hunting, and, and and how I got in the hunting industry, a guy called me up in Oklahoma City and said, hey, I got this this uh, local hunting show. Would you want to go to work for me? And uh, I was like, no, I, I really don't. I, you know, I'm content where I'm at. I'm rodeoing anytime I want. I'm working for my dad. And long story short, he said, well, I tell you what. He said, I know you're killing some good bucks. He said, if you would uh, go to work for me, I'd give you a percentage. And he said, I will uh, pay for all your hunts. I was like, well, dang, why didn't you say that from start? <laughs> and so anyway, I met with this guy, and um, and uh, he he gave me a camera. and I mean, he gave me one of them big old cameras back in the day. I didn't know nothing about it. And he said, just point it and shoot, which is absolutely wrong. We all know. But right. I took to the field, and uh, basically we spent $31,000 filming for this little local show and, and had 14 kills without knowing what we are doing. And the guy never paid me. And that's how I got in the hunting industry. I had this footage, and he wanted it. And, you know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, so I wasn't (laughs) giving it to him. And uh, and that's how I started my first show, Buck Ventures Outdoors, which led to Major League Bowhunter and and, uh, my friendship with Chipper Jones and and Matt Duff. And and we're just now, it's our life. And, and, uh, you know, I haven't set foot in the woods without a video camera over my shoulder since 2003. Wow. So how long before that you said that this guy had known you were killing some good deer, how long before this kind of trial in the, in the video side of things, how long before that were you starting to kill those good deer? Well, you know, and really back then I wouldn't even consider good deer to me now, but what I'm very fortunate, I grew up right here in uh, Lincoln County, Oklahoma, where we have deer, but big deer are few and far between. And when I started hunting, guys, 
if if you seen a doe, you were shooting a spike. And, and so I got to hunt those, and I got to, to even seeing a glimpse of deer. I loved it. And then uh, back in the 90s, I moved out more northwest or I, I say moved i still lived here but i got grounded northwest up by the kansas line and i'll never forget what changed my whole deal and this was about when he he called me is i shot a deer up there my first time in northwest oklahoma and i was proud it was like 18 inches inside you know probably looking back on it maybe a three-year-old 120 okay and i was proud and i checked it in that morning in the state up there in northwest oklahoma and it was the third littlest buck checked in that morning. <laughs> wow. I mean, there was 160s, 170s. And I, right then, I told myself, you know, and that's when I started learning. That's when I started being able to pass deer. And, you know, we've all read the magazines. We've watched shows like ours. But the experience that I started getting and kind of where we came up with our slogan, Never Stop Learning, that's where I started to learn is letting a 120 walk out and watching his behavior and then the bigger one come later. And, and that's where it all started. So probably when he called me there, you know, I was shooting maybe some one forties by that time. And, and we were, we were in Iowa and, and I mean, I was hunting public ground. That's wherever I went outside of Oklahoma, I was hunting public ground. I would research, I would find those public areas where there was no big towns or big cities and I would sneak up there, and I'd find those places in the summer, and that's where I was killing these deer. Wow, that's awesome. I'd love to to dive a little further into that, but before we get into the real meat of things, we do like to kind of throw our guests a curveball, usually here in the beginning, to loosen things a little bit up. So that said, Jeff, I'm curious, what's the most embarrassing song you have on your iPod, phone, or computer? <laughs> Oh my goodness, that would probably be, and oh man, I hate to even say this, but it is embarrassing. It's Whitney Houston, uh, emotional. My my wife, my wife and me. That was way back in our high school days. Uh, she she always had that, so she has that. I'm gonna blame it on her. It is on my. Of phone. course. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, hey, at least it's a good song. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, we'll uh, we'll do the same one then. Dan, what about you? What do you got? I have Taylor Swift teardrops on my guitar. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Taylor Swift. All right. Uh, Don't, tell anybody, <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody, guys. Don't tell anybody. I was thinking about this one before we, before we started recording. I think for me it's not a single song but a whole album. I have the NSYNC Christmas album back from, like, 1997. <laughs> goodness. Yeah. Consider yeah, so. this my resignation. Well, that's embarrassing for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. So uh so from there we'll we'll try to get back to Whitetails before we say anything anything else worse. <laughs> but <laughs> with that out of the way, you know, as we were just talk, talking about Jeff, uh, you know, what I've really enjoyed about Major League Bowhunters is one of the things you just said there, the fact that your motto is never stop learning. And I think you guys do a, a pretty cool job of breaking down properties and hunts and, you know, showing how your setup is and everything. And that said, I was hoping to kind of look at that way of thinking throughout this episode. And so, you know, to start off, one of the things that I've seen you and Matt and Chipper do a lot in the show is you're hunting new properties, going mm-hmm. to some new areas. And I was hoping to to kind of hear about how you start that process. So could you talk to us a little bit about how you identify new properties that you're interested in hunting, whether that's maybe back in the day when you were hunting some of those public spots or today, um, you know, how does that process get started for you? Well, the first thing with me is, is I'm not your typical, or or maybe I am, but I'm not going to be an outfitter type guy. I'm not, I, I don't want to be around anyone. I mean, and even breaking it down to me, Chipper and Duff in camp, I mean, and they'll tell you, and really, I think they're becoming more that way, too, as far as I don't want to be on a piece of property with you, Chipper, or Duff. I mean, I want options. I want and, – and so what we do is the new pieces, I mean, obviously, we're, we're uh, looking at the right states and then breaking it down from the states to the right area where there's uh, not only good bucks but a right area where there's not a lot of people or – or, or whatever, whether we're in Nebraska, you know, we're discovering some new stuff there. And then, you know, from there, I I truly believe, like in our line where we're leasing or, or buying at times, is if you're leasing, you've got to have a good relationship and a straightforward relationship with your, your guy that you're leasing from because, you know, we're serious. So 
when we when we drive ten hours somewhere, we are expecting there hadn't been one footprint laid on that piece of ground. So that is is one of the most important. And even back to my public days of going up there, I mean, I researched it all on the computer, and I found those far places, those big places, and then found those pockets where I didn't think anyone would be. And then that's where I hunted. I, I would go hunt all day. I would sneak around. I would. I was that guy that my pickup might be parked over here, and you're thinking I'm hunting here, but I'm two miles from where that pickup is. Wow. And uh, and just and and that's really how we hunt today. I mean, we just again just the the, the no pressure is such a big deal. I mean, a, a 170 inch deer is no harder to kill than a 140 if he's not pressured. I mean, it's you got to have him, and then you got to keep him not pressured. Definitely. So you mentioned that you did some leasing. Are you doing any just by permission property or is it mostly going to be purchasing or getting those leases? Well, you know, we, we, we get all kinds of requests for, um, you know, people when they find out we're going to go hunt somewhere. So we have a lot of people that say, man, you can come hunt my farm. And so we have taken a few of those opportunities and, and we were real careful and making sure that, uh, again, that it's legit, it's a deal. I mean, I always tell people this. I mean, I always say, listen, I'm a big old baby. I tell them that straight up. I, I don't <laughs> hunt after no one. You know, I'll, I'll come in, we'll set the place up, and then as soon as I'm hunt, done hunting and kill my deer, I will leave all my tree stands for you. So so that's where we're careful. But, we, you know, I did that in Iowa last year. I, I went to 240 acres in Iowa, and a guy said, I'll let you hunt. And uh, I told him my deal, and he said, okay, we won't set foot on her. Here's a house you can stay on. And I went up in the summer, actually me, Chipper, and my brother and a couple others, and, and we filmed the whole deal, which will air this year. And, um, you know, it was different for me. It was it was terrain. It was big terrain. It was over in Unit uh, 5. And uh, okay, yeah. so it was, it was not mountains, of course, but, you know, big old ridges. And, and that was a different kind of way of hunting for me. And, and um uh, and it wasn't, I guess, in my little honey hole type hunting. And anyway, we spent six days there, and we we shot a really nice deer, 155 inch deer. And and uh, you know, I end up just signing my bow and and giving it to the guy, and and I got a friend for life out of it. Very cool. Yeah. So I guess now, let's say in that type of situation, let's say you've you found this spot, whether it be that one in Iowa or you know maybe you're looking in Nebraska, you picked out a property that you're going to hunt. How do you start that process of scouting? Is that something you're doing, you know, all through the summer or do you, since you're hunting in a number of different places, are you doing your scouting and prep maybe right before the hunt? You know, what does that look like for you? Well, that deal is the way I break down all my stuff is I break down my states and I break down my familiar property. So when I'm talking Kansas, Oklahoma, I'm always going after my big, big deer there because they're close. It's the places I know. And then Iowa is another one. It's a place now that I know more, um, but so so I got about three or four uh, that I'm going after big deer because I'm running all these trail cameras. And then there's a few other ones, like, you know, obviously when I go to Alberta or North Dakota, you know, that is going to be more getting there a couple of days early, glassing, trying to find those deer, and then hanging on the fly. Um, and, and, you know, so there's several of those, but it kind of goes both ways. I mean, we're we're going to leave out here next Monday, and we'll probably be gone seven days. We're going to Oklahoma. We're you know, running our trail cameras, putting up our trail cameras to Kansas. Then we're going to Iowa. Then we're actually going to a brand new piece in Ohio that I'm hoping will fit into that same mix of that being kind of our home and um, and going after those big, big deer. I always tell people, and, and I, I've learned this, is you set your goals based on what you have. I mean, you know, Kansas, I know all the deer, as long as they've made it, the, the deer that I found the sheds to that are going to be there, Oklahoma, same way. Um, but when I go to Alberta, I'm not going to put a number on the deer that I'm going to shoot before I leave. I'm going to get there. We're going to scout a couple of days and I do set a goal from there. Um, but I don't set my goal too early on those kind of places. Now, Oklahoma, I, I'll tell you, I, I probably won't shoot nothing this year because of the kind of deer I have on it, unless he's, you know, 165 inch deer. Wow. Okay. Interesting. With all that travel that you guys are doing, how do you, how do you spend your time? I mean, if, if you know, let's say there's a, a nocturnal buck in Iowa 
And, um, but he's big enough to, to keep you staying as opposed to, you know, you've traveled all the way out even to Iowa, um, Ohio or North Dakota, which, or even Alberta, those are longer trips and it starts to get slow. Are you guys pretty aggressive? Um, and you know, make, make some aggressive moves or do you just pack up and, and, and head out? Well, um, um, that's a great point because I mean, everybody always, and what you see on the show a lot of times is, is, you know, we're always making decisions on what stand to go to, what wind to play or whatever. But some of the most important decisions we'll make all year are just what you're talking about. So I have one hunt booked that I have to be there. I mean, I know I'm going to be there September 2nd to September 13th, and that's Alberta, Canada. So every one of them other ones, guys, if it starts to get slow and I'm seeing the weather's cold in Kentucky, I'm leaving. Um, you know, I think that's a lot of a gut deal. Now, you know, I've gotten stuck in places before, but mainly I'm, we're not set to be nowhere. We're not the, the you know, like Michael Waddell. I mean, you know, he is, his hunts are booked right now. He knows where he's going to be. Well, we're, we're not that way. We're, you know, obviously, you know, I'm going to try to be in, when I get back from Alberta, I'm going to try to be in Kansas the day it opens, September 17th, because I got a really big deer there. But if I go along there and it ain't happening and I can't see that it's going to, we're going to either bail and go to a different place or, you know, I got two little girls at home. I'm going to spend every ounce at my house with my girls when it's no good. I'm not just going to bang my head against the wall. So, and that's how we all are. We're, uh, we're not that typical TV show that's got all these bookings and we have to be there. And the, and the big thing there too is we, we lease or own pretty much every piece of ground uh other than we ha we have an Iowa and a Kentucky where people let us hunt but but other than that we can go anywhere we want just based on our gut and the weather that's a nice situation to be in for sure yeah. so how many states this year I think you've mentioned a handful but I'm not sure if it was last year or this year how many states do you think that you will be hunting this year well I always me and Chipper and Duff we sat down every year and we we tell ourselves that we need 10 possibilities a piece with this bow and arrow because you know if you can go out and kill three to four mature bucks with your bow every year you're having a great great year so we have 10 possibilities a piece um this year might include alberta uh two in nebraska two in oklahoma uh one in kansas one in missouri one in uh ohio and then uh I'm putting in for governor's tag in Iowa. Um, and then we have what we call our lean to places. We have a really nice place in Arkansas that Duff hunted last year. Uh, and, and so we're going to, we'll possibly be there. We're also going to hunt with, uh, forgot squincher in, uh, Mississippi, um, December 9th, which is when the rut starts there. So there's about my 10 possibilities. Nice. Sounds like a pretty fun uh, possibilities for fall. Yeah, right, right. Definitely. So, so taking a step back to, um, you know, once you're breaking down these spots, whether whichever one of these different states you're hunting, let's say you're, you're there. You know, how are you using trail cameras at that point to, you know, figure out your hunting strategy for the week or the few days that you're there? So when I'm when I get to a place, yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest thing with trail cameras to me is they are the most revolutionary type tool that we have today, but uh, I'm as guilty as anyone in the past. You've got to be so careful of going in and out with them and, and getting them. So right now what we'll do is we'll put out all these trail cameras on what we call our home places uh, that I've mentioned, and they're just inventory cameras. They're not in that good-looking place where you want to hang a stand or they're in big bulk over big bulk feeders. Um, uh, and so we're just checking the inventory. So to allow us to know what's there, uh, what's really blew up. And then from there, when, when I get to a place, um, you know, it's all going to matter at the time. If I get to a place and it's early, then I'm still going to be so careful. If I take one in that is close to, uh, one of my sets, I'm still going to be doing inventory type deals. But if it's rut, then I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm still going to go check that camera with the right wind, but I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to take it in and, and what we call kind of like speed scouting during the day, and I can get by with more. That buck's not so sensitive uh, 
and um, so so we're we're still using the, the trail cameras then, but we're just what the biggest thing I just I am real careful with the trail cameras. They they help us tremendously, but if you're in and out of your honey hole spots, uh, you know big boys gonna get onto you really fast. Yeah, it's definitely one of those catch twenty twos. Like you said, so many people get overexcited about them and want to check them all the time. We're mm-hmm. careful. Um, so yeah, that's something you definitely have to think about. Right. And, uh, you know, one other thing I'm curious about, how often typically are you checking those cameras? And, you know, is there a certain area that you'll never go into to push a camera into? Are you always keeping them outside of a bedding area? Or will you ever, like you mentioned, get more aggressive and, and push them into different spots? Right. Well, and, yeah, I mean, obviously the year and the time, but like September, I truly believe that you only get one to two mistakes with big deer. I mean, I'll just bring up Kansas. I mean, Kansas, I uh, shot a buck we call Huckleberry that most people have seen by now, 183 and 58 inch deer. I'd never seen the deer in my life. But what I did with him is I put put several truck cameras. Actually, I was hunting a 250-acre farm there on the Arkansas River, and and I put up five trail cameras, one of them over a 1,200-pound boss buck feeder, that was on the way to some soybeans, and um, I I ended up getting several pictures of him in August, and in September, there was wrong winds to check four of those cameras, but I could only check one with the right wind, and and I was really waiting on windy days because he wasn't in my mind wasn't better too far from there, and and ended up checking this camera, and uh, he had moved to this camera, and he was he was coming through there going to soybeans, and. And just so happened that I had a back door into this place to hunt him with a south wind, hot south wind, and and end up killing him off of that trail camera. I mean, I truly give it up to the Moultrie for that because I was I had in my mind he was in a different place and I was hunting him with the right winds, but in a different place, and he was just a no show. And and anyway, so that night I kill him. I actually laid my eyes on him for I think 54 seconds is all I ever saw that deer on the hoof but I have 350 pictures of him. So, you know, being real careful in September, going into your aggressive state of mind, absolutely, man. When it gets November 1st and that 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 air changes, if I need to go in somewhere and hang something on a scrape or wherever it might be, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm still using my head, but like I said, that time of year, if you bump a doe or whatever it might be, deer are used to running deer. They're used to even snorts. And uh, so I'm I'm way more aggressive when that is. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever, and you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, Try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all 
in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's pretty well in line, uh, you know, with what, what me and Dan have been doing too. What uh, What are your thoughts on all this, Dan? You know, I myself am a huge, like, I I don't have enough stands for all my hunting locations. And I know that our listeners love the details about what a person is doing. On, on your running gun setups where you're, you know, you may, you come to a property, um, are all your stand locations already trimmed out by the time the season starts? Or are you running and gutting, running and gunning? Uh, are you cutting shooting lanes? What kind of uh, tree stands are you using? That kind of stuff. Well, I'm I'm the same way as you, Dan. I, I'm not. I don't have everything trimmed. I mean, you know how that is. Yeah. Things change anyway. So, you know, if I, we're running and gunning, I mean, I'm I'm cutting those limbs just like anyone else and being as careful and as quiet. And, you know, the one thing I'll say, I never go in morning or evening. It's always going to be um, in the middle of the day with the best possible wind I can get, you know, whether it's raining or whatever is always a good time. But I'm I'm trimming those limbs and and, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll just tell you, a lot of times what I do these days is instead of going in the typical way we used to do it is you'd go in going, oh, I'm going to go hang a set there. We're going back out of there and give it a day or two and then come back in and set it. I'm glassing that tree that I want to be in. I'm looking at the map, and then I'm going in to hang that set and hunt it. So whether it's packing a stand, me and my camera guys, you know, summit, we, we use the summit hawks most of the time. And, uh, but we're hanging and hunting and I have been, I just can't stress enough the the amount of success you can have by that because by the time a big buck gets there and he, he's not put it all together with his brain, he, he's getting there. Now you're already in the tree, even if he's picking up some scent that you might've laid down He's there, and you're there. So you have a percentage of kill him other than you going in, laying a bunch of scent down, and then two days later come back. He's already been there. He's put the puzzle all together, and, and, and he's spooked. So I, I I do that a lot. That's yeah. good. That sounds, I mean, that sounds a lot like the way myself and Mark uh, hunt as well. Yeah. It's all about uh, the power of that first set. It's pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, yes. And that, that brings up another question. How often or how many times will you hunt a stand before you get to the point where you figure it's it's worn out? Or will you, if you find a spot that you think's the spot, will you just hunt that for the rest of your time in that area? You know, what, What's your thoughts on that? Well, that goes a lot. Of I mean, you know, a lot of it, man, I, I truly believe in a gut feeling. But my sets, I mean, I have sets that are called observation sets. I have stands that I call bulletproof sets. I mean, if I'm in one of my bulletproof sets, which is, basically like the set I described in, in Kansas where I can slip in, I cross a river that, and I went through an open field to get there and, and I cross this river and then 20 yards on the other side of this river is this stand. I can hunt that stand as many times as I want with the right wind. I mean, it truly is. You don't spook nothing getting in. You don't spook nothing going out. Um, so as long as I got that right wind, I, I'm good to go. So, um, and you know, there's others, that, like I said, I, I think I go on gut a lot. I mean, I'm studying a map just like I'm sure you guys do, especially when you get into that state of confusion. You know, I know for the listeners, you know, everybody gets jacked up. You're ready to go hunt and then boy, all of a sudden you're in the hunt three days and, and, and all this daydreaming that you've done over the last month ain't happening. So it creates this state of confusion for all of us hunters. And that's where guys just got to go back to the map, got to keep that positive attitude. And, you know, you just put your best foot forward. And when I say that, always have the wind. I truly believe if a hunter follows the wind, I mean, if a guy's got 40 acres and he's got a stand for east, west, north, south on, on each side of it, and you might have, we all got that favorite set, but if you let that wind dictate where you're going to go, you're, you're, that wind will kill big bucks for you. No matter 
the sign might not be in that place as it is in your little honey hole stand, but those right winds get it done for you. And so that's what I'm always breaking it down to is, you know, I might have, you know, 20 sets hung on a place and then it breaks down to these three are good for this wind and and then just going with my gut. And, and I think as hunters, you know, that's what we're all going to have to do to some point. Yes, you, you bring up something that I think is worth diving into a little bit more, um, just being, you know, playing the wind. And there, there seem to be a lot of different ways that people look at this. You know, some mm-hmm. folks are just trying to make sure the wind won't get them caught by a deer. Some right. people are trying to think more so, how is the deer using the wind? You know, what's, you know, how, how do you look at that? Are you focused on a combination of the two or one or the other? How, how does that go through your head? Well, my deal is, you know, a lot of people ask me different stuff about this, and I just think as the hunter that's hunting, he has to have a plan. You know, so many people, they, they could tell you where they're going to hunt right now, guys, opening day, and that's not a good plan. I mean, you've got to have a plan broken down of, okay, mornings, this is where I think the deer are. Evenings, this is where I think the deer are. So you, you have to have this inside your head, in my opinion, and then my deal is my goal and objective every time I hunt is to not spook one deer, none. So I'm definitely looking at as I walk in, making sure I'm not flooding any bedding area. I'm making sure when I walk out that night that I have a good access point to get out. Uh, you know, one thing we talk a lot about on all the properties that we get to view is, you know, you, you'll be scouting a property say march and all the signs lay down and you look up and there's that perfect tree that has a perfect place for two stands you know it's just awesome but that's not the most important thing in our mind it's it's the access so we start with access yeah we find those honey hose places but that that place might be a little too deep or whatever so you know really looking at it from a hole not to ruin a farm not to step on a, a 180 or 190 class deer that you're hunting or you know it's a 140 whatever it might be that mature buck is is being so careful but but my key here is the plan if a guy goes in not thinking uh he's got to come up with his own plan people ask me well how do you know where all them de- deer been well I, I don't know wherever deer on the place is but i i put in my brain where i think they're going to a destination field that night how they're getting back there and where they're laying, and I base my wind off of that. Now, I went into stands before with that plan, and all of a sudden the deer are coming out in a different place, and I get busted, and, you know, obviously never stop learning comes into play there. I learn from that right. and then change. To, to elaborate on that a little bit, what kind of um, hunting areas, I guess you would say, do you find yourself in the most like pinch points, field edges, or like food plot edges, sign, hunting sign, or, uh, travel areas, bedding areas? Well, my idea might be different than, than some others is, you know, obviously in the rut, I, I'm going to be your typical guy. I'm going to be your typical in a pinch or a funnel, a travel area with a great wind. That's my philosophy during the rut. I'm going to spend as much time, my philosophy during the rut is get a good wind, getting a high travel deal, and set all day as many days, and, and you will have success, success doing that. But where I concentrate on killing my biggest deer is never during the rut. The rut is something we all get hyped up about, but it's the most unpredictable time of the year. So I'm trying to kill my big deer in, in September and early October and even late December. So I'm uh, I, I'm very careful uh, those times of years or that time of year. Um, but my number one tree is what I call an observation tree. It's the tree that you can see a long ways. It's the tree that you're probably not going to kill a deer out of, but I spend more of my time in those trees and, and I might spend three or four days in those trees. And then when I move, it's because I've seen him or whatever, and I'm going in to kill him. So I end up in all kinds of different situations, uh, you know, but, but those observation trees have been really good to me over the years. And, and not just moving in to kill, but then you take that observation tree in the rut to see what's going on. And, you're, you're calling in deer and kill them. I mean, I've, I've killed two booners out of an observation stand that I ended up late October with one of them, uh, early November, the other one, and called into a decoy on both times. 
and and use that observation tree. I wasn't where per se you would want to be, but I was in a safe tree where I had a great wind, great access, so where I could see, and I called him to me. That brings up something that um, when it comes to hunting new properties and maybe needing to be a little more aggressive, the, the idea of decoying to kind of push the issue, would love to hear a little bit more uh, details about exactly how it is you use a decoy, what your, what your strategy is around that. Well, my decoying is, first of all, I started decoying because I love the footage. The decoy got me into more trouble in my hunting career than any other piece of equipment. I mean, you know, we all love that deer coming in sideways, licking his lips, hair blown out. And um, so my biggest deal to to anybody, from my experience, is be careful when you use it. I mean, you know, basically pre-rut when when the bucks are by themselves um, is a great time. But you just have to be careful that they're not still bastard up. And, And the way I use them, you know, everybody sees it turn back to the hunter they walk out there 25 yards and they they point it back to the tree with the ears back and i absolutely disagree with that 100 percent. the way i've killed all my bucks is i take the decoy and again my big theme anybody that talks to me i'm real careful i don't want to spook nothing so i take the decoy five to seven yards from the bottom of my tree and i face it away from me and i touch the back legs only and, and I only stake the back legs. I never put a footprint. I'm very, very careful. But that way, I don't have to walk out there and put more scent down. A great way, one of the booners I shot was I had a fence line that was on the other side of my tree that, where I wanted to shoot the deer. But I walked up that fence line, which is about five, seven yards from the bottom of my tree. I reached over with the decoy and I do this every year I've killed lots of bucks this way but I just I stay on my side of the fence and then I stake his back legs down right on the other side of the fence and uh, put his ears back and and then climbing that tree and again it's a barrier that they can't get my scent because you know you guys used them you know that you don't always get that shooter and then you get that curious buck stomping around and and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to avoid yeah that's definitely uh the curse of decoys is when yes. that happens. Yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's that's a pretty interesting idea that uh, that goes, like you said, counter to what a lot of people says, but it, it makes a lot of sense. So. Well, and the other big thing I just want to touch on because I think it's the most important part of decoying is there's a time, and you guys know the time, when all of a sudden the deer are disappeared. It, it usually happens around November 7th through somewhere around 15th where the does, the button bucks, everything have been harassed so much because every buck in the, the woods is, you know, looking for a girlfriend. So that's when them does go into hiding and they're just belly down and trying not to even be visible for anything to see them. Well, that is the best time to decoy because then you're not having to deal with the old doe that's blowing at your decoy for 40 minutes because they're all hidden away. And that's when you can get by with being on the cornfield or the bean field and you won't have to deal with a lot of does looking at your decoy. That's a great point. That, yeah. uh, that's something to look for for sure. Yeah. So continuing on the theme of, of breaking down the hunt um, and taking a little more of a, a micro look at this, I was interested in maybe taking a look at one of your recent successful hunts and diving deep into that. So Jeff, um, you know, is there a specific hunt maybe that we could take a look at? And if so, you know, can you share with us, you know, when and where this hunt occurred and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one that I thought about when y'all mentioned this segment is, you know, I, last year I was going to talk about my Alberta hunt and, uh, you know, this is a place that I'd went the year before and shot a nice buck. Uh, but I ended up on a new farm over there this year. So I went to the old farm that I was hunting and, and activity just wasn't happening. I was in an observation stand. I had some one thirties, but the biggest deer I could find, you know, you're in Alberta, obviously, your your expectations are high and uh anyway we just started driving around one day we we just covered as much ground in the morning as we could to see if we could lay our eyes on a deer and, and sure enough we laid our eyes on two really big deer in a uh that was hitting a barley field and we we started uh we started a plan of attack as soon as we saw this deer uh we we started with a plan of attack that was the wrong when i look back it was the wrong plan but we started with observation stands. We we started, and we thought we kind of knew where he was living, but we were absolutely wrong. 
but that observation stand we hung, it was a safe play. It was, uh, and we ended up watching the buck come out of a, a big cut block and coming all the way across this CRP, um, and then hitting the barley, obviously at dark and, and then vice versa in the morning. So three days into this, uh, moving back and forth to two observation stands, one morning, one evening, um, you know, the buck was doing the same thing. He would come out of this cut block, and what's really interesting about this deer is he would, when he come out of the cut block, it was short grass, and he would run all the way across. He'd hit four-foot CRP, and he'd slow down and huh. ease his way all the way to barley. You know, and just that to me is amazing, watching a five-year-old deer, just the smartness of him versus those two-year-olds that were just gandering around. Oh, yeah. And so... Anyway, the next play, we were actually looking to the north out of this set, and 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 he was coming out of the the northeast way over there, probably seven hundred yards. So instead of I couldn't pinpoint where he was coming out of this cut block, so I told my camera guys like, listen, Brandon, we're going to go in, we're going to set up on the the north side of that field, and you know it looked like he was probably paralleling this tree row that was on the north side of it, maybe 150 yards. And, you know, my ca- my camera guy's like, dude, we ain't going to kill him. I said, no, we ain't going to try to kill him. We're going to go tonight, and we're going to watch him go by us. And when he comes by us, we're going to let him get long gone, and then we're going to pinpoint right where he came out, and we're going to take this stand down. We're going to take a circle inside the woods so we don't put any prints down, and we're going to hang this set. And, and we had a back door out. So that's exactly what I did that. I went in and we hung that set. The, the problem was it all sounds good up to now, but he never showed. <laughs> we had this whole plan together and he didn't show. And uh, so my camera guy was getting ready. I'm like, dude, we're staying. I don't care how long it takes. We're sitting here. So I crawled down out of my tree. I got to the bottom of my tree in this, this tree row. That way I could skyline more. And anyway, an hour and 20 minutes after daylight, I glass him in the, and, and watch him go across. And um, so we give him another 30 minutes, and then we, we pulled that set, had that ear marked right where he came out, and we hung that set in the dark. Got back about midnight that night, and then we slipped in that back door and uh, got in that tree. And you guys, I'm sure you've hung sets at dark. So you always hang that set at dark, and you wake up the next morning in it and it's not what you thought or you've got to trim this limb in the dark so true. well this was the one time guys no joke when it broke daylight i was like oh my gosh we hung we couldn't have hung it any better in the summertime <laughs> and uh anyway long story short uh the buck that i was hunting didn't come but a bigger deer came came right down that same deal come back from that barley and uh, I get the deer shot at 15 steps. That's actually the, the episode that aired last Friday night. But um, anyway, that, that scenario was, um, it's just a perfect plan of attack for especially early and really late season hunting that where you're pattern those deer. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. 
wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Wow. Yeah, that um, sounds like it was a heck of a plan and how you were able to adapt and, and adjust to all that's pretty interesting. What yeah. uh, what do you think about that, Dan? My, uh, I love how there's, uh, that's, that's being aggressive and I love it because that's the way that I hunt as well. In 2012, the buck that I shot, I think within maybe a 40 or 20 or 40 or 30 kind of square uh, area, a 30 or 40 acre area, I probably changed tree stands maybe, oh shoot, maybe 10 times in, in that small amount and maybe, you know, like maybe even a, a, a seven day period. And uh, I finally got the buck, but it, what people don't realize is you got to make the move if you want to kill a deer. You sit in the right. same tree stand for seven days in a row and you keep watching deer go and go and go by in a different area. If you're right. not moving, it's your own fault. Yes, exactly right. Well, I think, guys, that's how we all grew up. I mean, I remember me. I grew up, and my dad and them, they always said, man, just put your time in. Just stay there. And they, they didn't play the wind back then. They just went to this tree. And and really, everyone I grew up around, that's the way they did. They all had their tree or their spot, and that's where they camped out. And, and it was just, if you put your time in, they felt like they were going to kill a deer. Well, to me, hunting has evolved, especially if you're going after a mature buck or you're you know, you're wanting to kill a bigger deer, you have to adjust. And, and, and just like you said, Dan, you, you have to make it happen. I mean, we call it going in to kill. I mean, a lot of times Chipper and Duff will ask me, I'll say, listen, you know, you going to kill him tonight? I'll be, nope, I'm going in. And that's, that's our lingo in camp is, you know, Chipper will say, no, we're not going to kill tonight, but we're going to learn something. And we, we, you know, we, we could be another step closer tomorrow. And, a lot of times that that has to do with uh, early season, but it also has a lot to do with, uh, you know, rut as well. I mean, you, you see a big buck that uh, is locked down with a doe or chasing. Uh, you know, you can't you, you can't afford to wait. You got to go. You got to go in for the kill. Now it doesn't always happen, and you might have to reevaluate the situation, do something different. But more times than not, you you have to to take those steps. Right. Now, I got a question that kind of evolves from this, and every hunter at some point fails. You know, they, they, they make a mistake, and the deer wins that battle. Right. So how, you know, you guys are all about never-ending learning, or you're always learning. How can mm -hmm. you, how would you talk to a, a fellow hunter who has failed several times and um, needs some kind of advice on, on how to learn? Man, that's a tough one. It's, um, I think it's a mindset. I think it's, um, you know, I remember when I first started all this, I mean, the whole world's watching. So it puts so much pressure on me that it become not fun. And I had to learn, listen, it's not about the kill. It's about the journey doing it. And, and, and I think all of us as hunters, we got to realize that, I mean, first and foremost, I'm out there with God's great outdoors. I'm I'm seeing this sunrise and this sunset, and the the kill is the bonus. And you know, I, I say all that in one deal, but I'm I can be the biggest whiner that you've ever shared <laughs> camp with. I mean, trust me, because I mean I'm serious business. I'm I'm wanting to win this battle, but 
I truly do know now when I set my goals that I've talked about earlier in the show is uh, if I'm setting my goal in Oklahoma or I'm setting it in Alberta or Nebraska or wherever it is, I have to prepare myself that I, I could lose. And and so it's just like everyone watches television and they read these magazines, and, and you can learn so much by that. But every step you take in the woods, every tree stand you hang, every encounter you have or don't have, there's always something to learn. And we really take that to heart these days. I mean, every time I get to watch a deer or a, a big buck or a doe, I'm on, I'm trying to learn something and, and being able to, I mean, if people just look at it to write their own articles, you know, we're, we're all learning by articles. We're all learning by television. We're learning by talking to each other and learning from others mistakes or successes. But the, yeah, you guys know, I mean, the best way to learn is from your own experiences. So I just think that's the way people's mindset could get, and it will make you better. Every time you go, you should take something out of it. And, and you know, the other thing I'll say this is a positive attitude kills big bucks. You know, it, it truly does. If a guy can stay positive and, and learning in, in that way, you're going to have better results. Yeah, that's it's such a huge deal too that it's hard to quantify and it's hard to mm-hmm. you can't always wrap your head around it or explain to someone how to do it, but I think it changes everything about how you're hunting. Even, you know, you might be in the same tree stand, but if if one day you're totally down the dumps, maybe you're not paying attention as much, maybe you're not as focused, you know, that can that can end up, you know, causing you to miss that opportunity, right. which if you had the right attitude and you were prepared for success, you can capitalize on it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it don't matter who you are if you're bill jordan or you're just starting out hunting you, you you can still learn a lot it don't matter who you are there's a lot to learn and and to me man i tell you those those kills and everything they're rewarding but the game with the the best animal in the world to hunt is it's that's what it is you're playing a game enjoy it you know go head to head with him you're going to lose a lot of times, but that is what is so exciting about it is these these are the, the smartest animals that walk the earth, in my opinion. I mean, as far as try to go kill them consistently, and, and especially when you start talking about big whitetails, doing it on a consistent basis, it ain't easy. You're going to lose. you got to be prepared. I'm going to lose several times this year. I mean, you know, you guys know, I mean, I've any TV guy or anybody that's, that's getting viewed from the public is, is yeah, you're seeing it successes and we ain't got time to show you all them times and bad things happen. Right. There's always a lot more that goes on. Uh, that's, that's on the, the editing table, right? Right. Exactly. So you said something that I liked and you said there's, there's always a lesson to be learned from each hunt. And so from that, from that one hunt, the example you gave us just a few minutes ago, you know, what do you think was the main lesson that you learned from that successful hunt? And then, you know, what do you think would be the, the greatest thing that our listeners could take from that one example as well? Well, to me on that, what I learned from that is, is it kind of goes on what we was just talking about. When, when my farm, you know, I traveled 2000 miles or whatever it is to get to where we were at. And when my farm that was so good the year before, the daydreams went out the window because there was not a mature buck in that area coming to these fields. And, and so I'd spent three days there and my, my, I got down, I got to whine and I got to, you know, like golly. And, and, uh, so, so, but, but I rebounded and I said, okay, we're going to put together a plan. And, and, and my, my lesson here to myself was, dude, it never happens the way you daydream. You've got to, adjust so we did we got in a pickup and we drove around and then from there is um i I think when when i look at that situation if i just take a regular guy and when i say that say one of my buddies that just hunts every now and loves to hunt but just goes and hunts he would have dove into this farm and he would have spooked these deer before he even had a chance to hunt them and and so again i chose to tiptoe in it hunt from the outside in and that was what allowed me to see these deer and they had no idea i was hunting them and to me that is the key is 
kill a deer without him knowing you're, you, you've ever been there. And that's what we did. And, and so those two lessons to me, you know, it may be as old as, as whatever, but those are just uh, the carefulness of what it takes to shoot these big bucks. And, and, you know, the thing about it is I learn every year, but then we go through an off season. We go through what everybody else does back to life and, and doing our thing. So when you first start hunting again, that's probably when I make my biggest mistakes of the year because I'm not polished. I ain't got, you know, I might not have everything in my bag that I needed or, or whatever it might be, and, and that's when I can make those mistakes. And, and last year we were uh, we were patient enough but aggressive enough at the same time and, and got a 165-inch deer on the ground. That is, uh, that is awesome. A lot of words of wisdom there. This is uh, yeah. This is great. I think, though, that we are coming up on time here. Um, so that said, Dan, is there anything else you would like to add before we close things up? No, just as far as, you know, I watch, I, I never used to watch any hunting shows or anything like that. And what I really like about these guys and what they're doing with Major League Bowhunter is it is, you know, yeah, they got to pay their bills. They got to do their commercials and whatnot, but they also are trying to educate other hunters on how to be successful when a lot of other TV shows don't do that. And that's, that's one big thing that I like. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys saying that. I appreciate the time that y'all have given me, you know, it's a, I look at this, what I get to do is a privilege and a platform that God's given me. Uh, you know, I look back on when major league bow hunter started and something a lot of people may not know. And probably y'all don't even know is when we came out with the name major league bow hunter, you can look back on the forums and we got hammered. We got hammered by people saying, Oh man, it's just a bunch of rich baseball players fixing to start another show. And, and, you know, we couldn't really scream and tell them that's not what it was, but our goal was to be able not to say we're major league bow hunters because we're still, we're not that we're trying to become that. And we wanted to share every experience. And, and not only that before major league bow hunter, you, you very seldom saw people looking people in the eye. And so that's the other big thing we did is say, you know what, we ain't going to set our interview chair. We're not looking at the camera. We're going to look these people in the eye and we're not going to have cue cards. We're going to look you and speak from our hearts. And, um, I think that is the connection that we've had because we're all hunters. We're all in this together and, uh, we're going to stay humble and, and we're going to do what we love. Now we're not going to apologize for having good ground or, or working our tails end off to, to have good ground. But, uh, but like I said, I just I, I think that was the big difference for us. Yeah, I think it's paid off too. It uh, really, you guys have one of the best shows out there. And I've really enjoyed it and, and you know learned a lot from what you guys do. And like I mentioned earlier, and Dan did too. It's it's refreshing to see the focus on the educational aspect. I think you guys do a better job than probably anyone of, of diagramming it out and really making it visual for people to to wrap their heads around. So I love it. And you know, well, that if, means a lot come from you guys. I, I appreciate your show, uh, and uh, hopefully y'all have me back on sometime. We'd love to. And if our listeners want to learn more about Major League Bowhunter, um, you know, where should they go, maybe online, and then when can they catch it on TV? Well, it's uh, obviously we would love for you to be, everybody follow us on Facebook. Uh, uh, our website has uh, got some cool stuff on there. Obviously, that's where you can buy a lot of the apparel. And then our big air time is every Tuesday night. I think we're 7.30 Eastern and 9.30 Eastern. We have, uh, that's the Realtree hunting block and uh, hunting camp block. So that's our two big air times we air tonight. Uh, so, uh, which I don't know exactly when this airs, but, uh, and then I just like to take the time to, to thank all of our fans and to thank anyone that listened today and, and just remember the motto, never stop learning. That's awesome, Jeff. Well, we will include links and all the information that you just talked about there so that people can check it out. Be sure to catch the show. And that's on the Sportsman channel, correct? Yes, that's on the Sportsman channel. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. This is this has really been interesting. It's been a great conversation. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Well, I thought that was pretty great and hope you did too. And that will wrap things up for us here today on the Wired Hunt Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you enjoyed the show today, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. And even if you didn't enjoy it, we'd still love to hear your feedback. Thank you in advance for taking the time to do that. 
Speaking of thanks, we'd also like to thank our excellent partners who help make this show possible. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. That said, be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode 15 to view the show notes from today's episode, and that's where we'll include all the links that we mentioned today. And if you're new, definitely head over to wiredhunt.com to sign up for our Whitetail Fix newsletter. That's where you're going to get all different updates on what's new and interesting on the blog. So with that all out of the way, thanks again, Wired Hunt Nation. And until next time, have an awesome week. Keep on living the dream, chasing those whitetails. And as always, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.